The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. And just like that, the first place lead is gone. As I now consider the Royals in a tie with Detroit at 80 and 66, both teams now with 16 games to go in my book. And I think in that stretch of 16 games, 10 and 6 or 11 and 5 is needed to seal up the division for KC as things are getting tougher by the day. Welcoming you into another edition of Clubhouse Conversation is me, Davo, another edition of your dish. Thanks for joining us. A busy episode tonight. We're going to get to your tweets a bit later in the episode from earlier this evening. We threw out a question about Gerard Dyson and whether his lack of presence in the lineup is a good thing or a bad thing. Interesting thoughts from you. We'll touch on that a bit later, plus a preview of the next three against Boston. And we'll look at Detroit versus Cleveland as well. But right now, let's talk about this one tonight. As the Royals show one of their most sluggish and lazy efforts of the year. I don't want to call it pathetic. It's not that bad, but I mean, it just was not a good look for the Royals tonight. Once again, you come home in front of 28,000 plus. The Royals continue to have good crowds out at the K for the most part in the second half of the season outside of a few weeknight games against subpar teams. But 28,000 against the Red Sox when it's about 58 degrees at first pitch, 57 degrees. You know, and the Royals once again show the home fans nothing. And some people will say, oh, they didn't go home until 2.30. I'm not buying that, guys. I mean, A, Boston was here much earlier last night, obviously, but they're not in their own beds. The Royals are in their own beds, conceivably with family and girlfriends or wives around, which I guess would maybe keep them up, keep them up a bit later if things were going well, <laughs> right? I mean, just being real here. But you know what I'm saying, though. But, I mean, you look at it, these guys are getting out of the park at, 11 o'clock most nights on an average night game. It gets over at 10, 10, 15. They're in the clubhouse till 11. They're probably getting back to their places around 1130. And the guys aren't going right to bed. They're probably up till 1, 130 on the average night. So, yes, they go home at 230. Maybe they weren't in bed till 4. All right. Maybe it's two and a half hour difference. But it's, it's not like they played an afternoon game. So I'm not really buying any excuses on that. And Ned Yost didn't either after the game to his credit. The Royals just didn't play well. The whole night. I mean, it's not a good sign when you're playing a 64 and 83 team in Boston and a seven game season series. You've only played four games and you've already lost the season series. That's not a good sign. You have three games left out of seven against one of the worst teams in baseball and you've already lost the season series with three games still to go. That's not good. KC now 0 4 against Boston, 64 and 83. And it just seemed like they came out flat. It was almost like they expected to win this. There was just no intensity, no enthusiasm. You saw that all with James Shields the other night. The Royals seemed to play that way when Danny Duffy's out there. It just there it wasn't out there tonight. It was just it just they had the wrong attitude. It was almost like they expected to show up like they did against Texas. And against Texas, they didn't play real well, but they swept them. It's almost to me like they expected to come home in front of a good crowd, twenty eight thousand plus again. Royals show them nothing. But it's also, the, you know, they expect to do that. and But you've got a spot starter and Liam Hendricks out there. No offense to Liam, but, I mean, you can't be taking anything for granted with him. And Boston still has some major league hitters in that lineup that are still, you know, guys that can beat you, Cespedes, Ortiz, Napoli. There's still some guys in that lineup. It's more dangerous than the Royals lineup right now. So, you, I mean, it just – and yes, you're facing Clay Buckholz, who's not the same old Clay Buckholz, but he's been much better recently, and the Royals sure aren't good enough to overlook anybody. I don't care who it is. So – Liam Hendricks wasn't good today, for sure. Two and a third allowed three runs. Only two were earned. Four hits with two walks and a K. He wasn't good, but he was also let down by his defense right away in the second inning. Eric Hosmer 
lets the most routine grounder in the world go through his legs. He'll never have an easier play in his major league career than that one. It's 10th error of the season, which is just way too many. 10 errors for a guy who won a gold glove at first base who's missed a month. That's way too many. And then the Red Sox gift the Royals a couple runs right back in the second. You're thinking, okay, we're up 2-1. That's fine. They got their error out of their system. You know, but then Casey gives it right back eventually in the fourth, thanks to physical errors by Mike Moustakis and Escobar. The leadoff routine ground ball to shortstop to Escobar was butchered. Moose makes a nice diving play to his left, but then throws the ball away to Infante at second. And then there was a mental error from Moustakis in the same inning. I mean, you got first and third with one out, and you've got a one hopper that's routine double play hit to Moose, and he comes home to cut out the runner at home plate. But the problem is David Ortiz is next. You can't do that. It just can't happen. So, I mean, you had a, two physical errors and a mental error right there in a row. And then David Ortiz comes to hit and gets a knock, of course. So, I mean, you just look at it all in all. The defense was horrific tonight. Aoki's uh, bumbling a ball out there in the right field corner. Actually, not the, not the corner. The Ken Harvey tarp, as we affectionately know it as, over there on, on the right field line against the tarp there. I mean, it didn't really matter. I'm just saying the defense all in all was bad tonight. And Eric Hosmer, another chance to make a very nice play. It nicks off his glove, though, in the eighth. The, the two runs are charged to Aaron Crow. That's the play I was speaking of when the ball kicked down there against the tarp and Aoki bumbled it around, had no chance to throw anybody out. Hosmer's got to make that play, or for sure he's got to make one of these plays when Jeremy Guthrie's pitching the other night. If he's making errors on defense, we saw two in the same play the other night in Detroit. We saw tonight another error before that's just coming back. He's not hitting a lick. I mean, he, he, he's got to make some, some stud plays out there, or else it's hard to justify having him in the lineup every day. I mean, you're giving guys with histories of hitting at the major league level much more than Hosmer and Butler and Willingham. You're giving them short leases. You're saying, oh, who's ever hotter is going to play. But Hosmer is better defensively than both of them, no doubt. I, I believe that. But he's not showing it right now at all. At all. And it's hard to keep him out there if he's not going to hit the ball and you've got guys like Willingham who you have to have in the lineup, guys. Professional bats, didn't have a great game tonight. A couple first pitch outs tonight. But he's got to be in the lineup, does Willingham. Four out of five days. Butler needs to be in there at least three out of five. So Hosmer's not going to be able to play five out of five. Do the math. If those guys, Willingham and Butler, granted, Butler especially not having a good year at all. We've acknowledged that. He's stunk the majority of the year, but he carried this team in August. He's got a track record. Nobody else is, is scoring the ball up. And if, and if somebody like Hosmer is going to be playing every day, then Butler's got to be in there because Willingham has to as well. I'm just kind of speaking in circles here, but it's frustrating, I think, to, to me, and a bit odd that, Willingham and Butler seem to have to alternate and both hit their way into the lineup, yet Eric Hosmer seems to be able to be in there every day no matter what. Just a little bit odd to me, considering some of the guys on this team that have short leases and some that don't. But anyways, I digress. Pitching-wise, Hendricks cannot be run out there again for a start. Fine with him in long relief, fine with him for mop-up. He cannot be out there again to start a game this year. Cannot happen. And it probably won't because Danny Duffy, go to report today, should be back. I don't know how the, how to do it with him. They, they could get tricky with that off day. I don't know what they're going to do. They could get tricky and creative and try to bring Duffy back for Detroit or just throw him out there, I guess, on Tuesday. He'd be out there again against Detroit. So I don't know. I, I, would, I would think Duffy's back in for his next time through the rotation. But even if not, maybe you kick him back three or four more days and bring him back for Detroit. Maybe you go four-man rotation one time through. I don't know. I haven't sat down and thought about it enough. But there's definitely ways around that. You could also throw Brandon Finnegan out for a two- to three-inning spot start and have Casey Coleman for an inning or two and then go to your guys 
your Crows or your Coleman's or whoever else to get you to Herrera, Davis, and Holland at the back end of a game if you have to. But you're to the point now, like I said, 16 games ago, you're in a tie. You've got to match Detroit every single day from here on out or beat them every single day. So you can't be throwing out Hendricks out there again. It just can't happen. Great as first start, nice story, but then struggled mightily against the Yankees, struggled mightily again tonight, throwing strikes was the problem in that inning where he was undone. I mean, yes, there was some shoddy defense behind him in the second inning, but overall, you know, it was Casey Coleman who saw more worse defense than Henrik said, obviously. Now, speaking of Casey Coleman, he was great tonight. Two and two-thirds out of Casey. You're very impressed with him tonight. I, I didn't think he'd be a guy that we'd see anymore. I think about five days ago I told you I expected to see him one or two more times. I, I, but we've seen him a couple times since then. I mean, tonight was good. Two and two-thirds, two hits, no earned runs, and two Ks. I mean, Casey Coleman was good. Take out the air behind him. He probably goes a little bit longer with a, a less hit as well. And then Lewis Coleman, four up, four down. So the Coleman brothers, quote-unquote, had a combined four innings of two-hit ball with no earned runs and two Ks. Nice job for Lewis and Casey. Aaron Crow was bad because of two walks. Give up a couple runs, ultimately. Uh, Francisco Bueno, three base runners in an inning, not good there. We don't know if Greg Holland was available or not. I think he was tonight, but we never got that official answer, so who knows. Anyway, overall tonight, defense was awful. You're not going to win a game when you have three errors out there. That has to be corrected. This cannot continue for the Royals. They've been on a horrible stretch recently with their defense. In fact, if you want the exact number, the Royals defensively have committed 19 errors in their last 13 games. 19 and 13. That's an error and a half a game. Cannot happen for a team built on pitching and defense. So offensively, one other thing I wanted to talk about before we preview tomorrow in the Detroit series as well. Offensively, we threw out a question to you earlier at Royals Clubhouse saying, Gerard Dyson not playing very much. He's only had two starts in the month of September. Now, granted, he's had some awful base running, as we mentioned the other night, getting picked off three times in the previous 15 days. But, you know, one of those was in a, in a pinch running situation. The other two were in August. So, I mean, I think Dyson obviously performs better when he's in there, I would say, starting. I mean, you're not going to see his weaknesses exposed quite as much as far as getting picked off and stuff like that. Well, that's not necessarily true. He doesn't get picked off twice in that back-to-back game. So scratch that. Never mind. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. It's 1230 at night. Anyway, Dyson more in the lineup, yes or no? I think yes. But I also think, like I mentioned earlier, that Willingham – and Butler need to be in there more. So it, it's getting it's to the point now where I think Nori needs to be in there a little bit less, but then Nori gets two hits tonight. Him and Kane were the only two to get two hits tonight. So who knows, man? Nori's been doing really well, I guess, the last few weeks. Now, at Franchise Hall says Nori Aoki shouldn't see the field at all. Huh. It's a little bit of maybe a little bit of uh, harsh, but I get where you're coming from. I think less, definitely. I, I'm sure you agree. At JR Gooden 0506 says, that's a tough call on Dyson. I'd like the lineup with Kane starting off and Dyson in the nine hole. Gives us speed 891. I'm assuming he means Escobar in the eight, Dyson in the nine, and then Kane. Okay. Fair enough. I could go for that. At Shearhoff, which is Alyssa Shearhoff, says, I think Dyson should be playing more. He's better when he's playing more often. I would agree with that also, but I was trying to say a minute ago when I completely butchered it and talked in circles there. I do agree. I think Dyson out there seems to swing the bat better when he's in there more often, but that's pretty much the same for any player. I mean, most guys are going to hit better when their timing's down and they're in the lineup more often. But, I mean, the fact that Dyson is brought in most games defensively, which, by the way, wasn't it a bit odd tonight that he wasn't brought in after Norris at bat there in the seventh? 
I mean, normally they go to him no matter what. They were only down a run at that point. Kind of odd. Is he in the doghouse after getting picked off? I don't know. Just something I noticed tonight. But, I mean, if, if, if he gives you your best defense out there, does Dyson. That's your rationale for playing Hosmer, isn't it? Well, then why not Dyson? I mean, Dyson's not – you're not losing that much offensively from him and Aoki, if anything, and the speed's a plus as well. So I'm with Alyssa. I could see Dyson in there more often being a good thing. Now, at Brett underscore TCJ underscore ADV says – you can't count on Dyson's head being in the whole game. He's cost us some wins and potential ties this year. I'm trying to think of a game he actually really technically cost us the game where you can totally blame it. Not really. I mean, even the other night, you can't say he cost them the game because even if he gets to third base and Gore behind him gets to second, how do we know Salvi's going to get a base knock there and not swing at something a foot outside, you know, or the next hitter after him? So, I don't know, maybe a bit strong, but I get the point. Dyson does have some lapses out there, and defensively he's been disappointed. I mean, he makes great plays defensively, but he'll be disappointing and not be able to field a routine ground ball hit to him on a base hit, or he'll miss a cutoff man. So I'm with you. But Kane does that stuff from time to time also, as does Nori. The only guy out there in the outfield really right now who I think is 100% solid defensively is Gordon, because I feel like Kane has been struggling the last few weeks to what we normally see out of him. Now, one more tweet from at Bradley Weather. He says, I just want to see more of Willingham in right field. He gives us power. That's another good point. Like I was just talking about a second ago. While I want to see Dyson in there more, and I don't know if maybe you give Kane one to two games off a week and give Dyson one or two in right, and Norrie's not playing much. Maybe you're going to Willingham three days a week in right, one day a week at DH, and, you know, Butler two to three games at DH, one game a week at first. I don't know how they do it, but I'm to the point now where I don't think anybody should be playing every single day. Outside of Willingham, between that force. You talk about Aoki, Dyson, Willingham, Butler. Those guys are all in Hosmer. Those guys are all related. There's five guys there for three spots because pretty much Kane and Gordon are going to be in there every day for the most part. So you've got Dyson and Nori and Willingham as possibilities right. And then you've got Willingham, Hosmer, and Butler for possibilities between first and DH. So I, I agree, Bradley. I want to see more of Willingham and right too. But then again, I also want to see more of Dyson. So it's... It's interesting because I'm to the point right now, the, the Royals don't have anybody consistently good enough on offense where you can just pencil them in there. So I almost think you have to mix and match guys. I almost think at this point you try to get most of those guys in there two out of three days, like the guys I just mentioned. Just play them two out of three. That way you're keeping them all fresh and you're riding them all. Just my opinion. That's my, that's my solution right now because there's a lot of guys. There's five guys for three slots. And you know Ned really wants to give Raul Abanez a start, but that can't happen. That cannot happen. These last 16 games as we're tied right now. No way. So let's preview like we talked about earlier. Give you the preview for the rest of this series. We'll talk more in depth about tomorrow. Um, Alan Webster against Jordano Ventura. Webster, the right-hander, not good. Tomorrow is an overwhelming Royals advantage. Royals must get this game tomorrow. 16 games to go. I'm going to start throwing around the must-win a lot more often because this is a sprint now. This ain't no marathon anymore. The marathon got us to a tie. And Detroit's got a pretty cake schedule after this weekend. Tomorrow is a must-get. Really, you need three out of four in this series, but you have to get two. And if you lose tomorrow, oh boy, not a good situation. I'll be a lot more upset tomorrow. I, I can take tonight okay. But tomorrow, if we lose, Allen Webster is 3-3 three and three with a 6-4-7. And look at his peripherals. It's not hard to see why. It's, it's not a fluke. It's legit. 40 and a third innings allowed 40 hits, so he gives up a hit per inning, which is not abnormal. But then 25 walks and 40 and a third. 25 walks. Ridiculous. The guy's walking like five hitters per nine innings. I mean, the Royals have got to have good at-bats tomorrow. 
I don't want to see guys up there swinging at the first and second pitch. I mean, yes, occasionally you can, and especially with runners on third base and the one out, and you want to get that run and you see a pitch up. There's situations that call or sacrificing. The situation's first pitch, second pitch is okay. But for the most part, we need good at-bats tomorrow. This guy will walk you, and you will be able to hit him when you see him up and take some pitches also. The more pitches you see, the better chance of walking, and the better chance you'll get a mistake. Have good at-bats. Webster sucks. <laughs> you know, that's not a very professional thing to say, but occasionally I've got to deviate from professional because there's still a lot of fan of me, you know? So, Yordano Ventura against Webster's got to win that game tomorrow. Saturday, Jeremy Guthrie, uh, the tough young righty, Ruby De La Rosa, who shut down KC pretty good back in July, although the Royals got swept in that, so no surprise there. Guthrie and De La Rosa, it's just a toss-up game. The Royals are the better team, but De La Rosa's having the better year, and, you know, Guthrie's coming off a rough start which means you have to win tomorrow again. Because then Sunday, it's Kelly and Vargas, which I give KC an edge, but not a big edge. I mean, this series, <laughs> pitching-wise, this series, I mean, without Duffy and Shields pitching in this series, I mean, Duffy and Shields are, are, are you know, are ahead above anybody Boston has, maybe even Ventura, too. But outside of that, you throw out guys like Hendricks and Guthrie and, uh, you know, some of these other guys are really not any better than the guys Boston has. And Boston's lineup right now is probably hitting the baseball better than the Royals. Actually, there's no probably about that. Recently, they are. So the Royals need to take these games seriously and, and start playing crisp. You know, I want to see some airless games now. I want to see one more error the next three games. One more. That's it. Shut the door on these guys. Step on them. Got to win. Now, real quick here before we let you go, Cleveland and Detroit, if you've stayed uh, this long, I appreciate it. <laughs> Sometimes we go longer than others. Tonight there's a lot to talk about. But Cleveland and Detroit, I believe Cleveland should win two of these games. My reasoning is Detroit pretty much just destroyed Cleveland the last time they played. It's Major League Baseball. They're both good teams. It's not common that someone's going to just step on somebody like that. Now the Tigers have done that to the Royals this year, with that being said. But Cleveland can swing the bats a little bit better than Detroit. And Cleveland's hot right now after sweeping the doubleheader today. Um, against the Twins. And I meant to say, you know, Cleveland's business is better than the Royals, not Detroit. I think I just said Detroit. But Cleveland's better at speaking the bats than KC, obviously, as well. So I just feel like they'll match up better in this series. You got David Price against Carlos Carrasco. Carrasco has been absolute nails. Pitching much better than David Price in recent weeks. Toss-up game tomorrow. Price and Carrasco. David Salazar, Kyle Lobstein. I don't think Lobstein's lost yet on Saturday. Edge to Cleveland, although, by my logic, Salazar shut them down last time, so you would think Detroit's due to hit him. But I still give Cleveland the edge on Saturday. Trevor Bauer, Justin Verlander Sunday is a toss-up leading Cleveland. Bauer got lit up as well. That's a game where the Indians got down 4 nothing in the first, then Bauer settled down, and Cleveland came back and tied it at 4, but then ultimately uh, Detroit was able to pound them like 11-4 to in extra innings in that one. So the series there, I just I feel like Cleveland can get two out of three. I think I think they're going to win tomorrow with Carrasco against Price. They're hot. It's a must win. This is it for Cleveland. This is their last stand. They got to get two out of three minimum in this series or sweep. Got to get two out of three though. And I just think Carrasco has been better than Price recently. Salazar has been better than Lobstein overall. And, yeah, I mean, Verlander and Bauer is kind of a wash. I mean, the stats aren't that far apart, but and Verlander is, you know, multi-Saw Young winner, all that jazz. But Bauer didn't pitch well last time. I just have a feeling. I give a toss-up tomorrow, edge Cleveland Saturday, toss-up Sunday. But we're going to go two out of three for Cleveland. Just a hunch. 
the smart money, I suppose, in Vegas would be two out of three on Detroit. But just a hunch that Cleveland will get two of those games. But no matter how you look at it, the Royals must get minimum two of the next three. We said three out of four coming in, but they have to get two of these games. Have to get two of these games. And we'll be back again tomorrow night here on Clubhouse Conversation, talking Royals baseball with you again, taking your tweets, uh, taking your phone calls. You ever want to join me on the show? Just let me know. We'll look you up on that as well. Clubhouse Conversation, all is evolving. Thank you for listening, and have a good rest of your evening.